Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will have Father Tim Smith in the studio to tell us the story of how he got his call to the priesthood. You've heard him on the show before. He's always fun, always has lots to tell us, and it's a good story. So I hope you'll stick around for that. First, we have, I haven't called you the lovely Dr. Chris Bergwald oh. for a while. So, well, thank you very much. <laughs> Getting lovelier by the day, right? <laughs> uh, still happy Advent, Renee. Yes. What's today, Renee? Well, it'd be the second Sunday of <laughs> Advent. That would. I almost said ordinary time. And what year are we in again, Renee? C. And the gospel for your C is Luke. <laughs> I had to stop for one second. You are. Doing, I would have. Bill would have bailed me out. Hesitation. I'm sure. So totally, <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, I can't believe I'm taking this on. Why am I doing? Are this? you going to read the the oh, gospel? Oh my gosh! I was going to say you should hand it to Renee and see if she. Renee, can would you read it. the gospel for today? Are there, no, just kind of quickly because we only have a few minutes. What? Come on, we're we're we're. No, you, you get to. Oh my gosh! Sorry. Here's here's the be- most of, not all of, today's gospel. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. That's the thing that You see why I didn't want to read it. <laughs> During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. And we kind of go on from there. So as you listen to that, a lot of stuff going apart on there. from me trying to, you know, ready to laugh at my mispronunciation, <laughs> although you wouldn't. Nobody know. knows. <laughs> what what strikes you, Renee? Because something should strike you. So you better have some response. Can I ask here. you to repeat it? In the fifth year of the <laughs> exactly. reign of Tiberius Caesar, <laughs> when Pontius was governor, Herod was Tetrarch, his brother Philip was Tetrarch of there, Lysanias was Tetrarch of that. During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. Well, to me, they're really trying to like pinpoint when this was in history. Well ding, done. Ding, ding, ding. And, and the implication of that is that it actually happened. Right. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So, so Luke, this is this is the beginning of chapter three in Luke's gospel. So, chapter one and two in Luke's gospel are all about. The birth of Jesus. Right, right. So John and Jesus, the birth, the, the, yes. Um, chapter three is where we get into the public ministry. So we jump ahead 30 odd years. And then we jump back later right, on right, in the yeah. month. <laughs> right. Ahead, back, um, whatever. Luke starts his gospel talking about how he's, he's talked to people. He's offering a detailed account um, and and we read that in the birth, the the nativity narratives, uh, and we also read the infancy narratives, and we also read it here at the beginning. So he's specifying this is when this happened because he's making clear, as you already said, that this really happened. He just knew in the twenty twenty first century. Yes, it is the twenty first. We were <laughs> <laughs> we were all going to be like this didn't happen. Not right. all, but there will be a bunch of people, people who are like, like mm, right, this right. didn't happen. Because it's not, we, I feel like we've talked about this before. He doesn't start once upon a time right. or long, long ago in a country far, far away. He doesn't do that. Right. He specifies who the rulers are. Um, I think some people have pointed out, I think um, maybe Father uh, Peter Cameron, former editor of Magnificat, uh, he and or Bishop Barron pointed out that actually these characters, all th- these people who are named, many of them play a role 
30 or some years later. Oh yeah. That's true. Uh, Cause that's the same passion. Herod, right? Same. Uh, yes. Yeah, Herod. Yeah. Okay. Be- yeah. It, not 30 years later. Sorry. Three years later ish yeah. from now. Yes. Yes. I'm going to say 30 years. I don't think it's the same. Herod. But the other thing that is often <laughs> pointed out, right. The other thing that's often pointed out though. So all these people, what happened? Where did the word of God come from? So what we get is these are the, the ruling secular power, mm-hmm. the emperor, um, the, and, and his delegate. So that's Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate. And then we get the local rulers, mm-hmm. Herod and Philip and Lysanias. Uh, and we get the religious rulers, Annas and Caiaphas. Um, and it's sort of like there's there, boy, there's some pop culture reference here that I'm, it's on the tip. Ooh, it, ooh, maybe it's, Bill it's has the, it. The, the, I was the, thinking of something else. Sorry. What? So, <laughs> The word of God comes in and just goes right on by all these important people and goes out into the desert. With John. To John. Right. Uh, And and we're going to talk about John Morgan next week. So the second and third Sundays of of Advent, we hear about week one, uh, Sunday one, the first Sunday was about the second coming. Mm-hmm. Week two and three is about John the Baptist. So we get here, um, and there's more in the gospel. You can, if you didn't hear it at mass already, you can uh, look it up. Um, it's more of uh, it's the beginning of John the Baptist's public ministry. Um, but again, the word of God bypasses all these important people in their important places and goes out to the desert mm-hmm. uh, and comes to John, whose birth we just read about in the previous chapter. And I'm sure the important people would have thought. If God's going to come, they're going to come to us. Exactly. Right. So John, <laughs> no. uh, sorry. Um, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah mm-hmm. in the desert. Uh, so who is John? Um, we're going to talk more about John next week, but lately you've heard this from me. John's my guy. Lately. Oh, yeah. We get in today's gospel. He's the stalking voice of, you. He's still stalking <laughs> me. He's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, mm-hmm. make straight his paths. And we're called to do the same thing. It's mm-hmm. Advent. Let us prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts, but also for the sake of those who are around us. Ah, thanks for that, Dr. B. Happy second Sunday of Advent. I have in the studio with me today, which is a rare thing, uh, Father Tim Smith from Holy Cross Ipswich. He's a pastor at Holy Cross Ipswich, St. Thomas the Apostle Roscoe, and Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Leola. He's here to tell us the story of how he became a priest. I'm told it's a little bit of a wild one. So welcome, Father Smith. Thank you very much. And I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I doubt we can fit all the details of this crazy story in, uh, but I'm grateful for the opportunity just to share what God has done in my life. Because fundamentally, Jesus Christ changed my life and God wanted me to be a priest and so now I'm a priest. He was going to find a way to get you here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so we're going to at least learn part of this story. Maybe someday we'll have you come in and we'll just have the whole thing. We'll take like an hour. I don't know if we'll do that. Bill's like, no way, man. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, so will you start by just telling us a little bit about your family and where you grew up? Sure. Born and raised in Wyndham, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, just a, basically about you know 75 miles east of Sioux Falls. Okay. I'm still in the Kelloland listening area, which really? is one wow. of our, okay. of course, we broadcast our TV mass on that area, <laughs> sure. on that channel, of course. Uh, so always knew of Sioux Falls. Uh, I watched Captain 11 on TV, uh-huh. like a lot of our <laughs> listeners did, 
And so it even went to Captain Eleven Studios one nice. time. So uh, growing up, there's that's part of my childhood is coming to Sioux Falls and being here. Um, my parents were in business, and then we did that as a family. Um, I was baptized and raised in a Lutheran family. Okay. Um, and so from very early on, I was given a customary church upbringing. My dad ushered on Sundays. My mom participated in the local church council mm-hmm. uh, to help make sure we got a new elevator installed sure. <laughs> in the church, those sorts of things and activities. Yeah. And I went through the customary uh, religious faith formation. Okay. was given a Bible as I was an elementary student, um, and then also encouraged to practice the faith by attending Sunday worship sure. services. And even during uh, Wednesdays, during the Lenten season, we would have regular oh, okay. attendance of gathering with other families. Okay. And so that was my experience of growing faith up. growing up. Any brothers or sisters? Older brother, older sister. Um, and I'll, I have uh, eight or seven nieces and nephews. Oh, nice. um, and then, uh, of course, even uh, some great nieces and nephews now. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Since you weren't Catholic, we're going to have to have a little extra piece here. And I can see why you say we can't get it all in in 20 minutes. <laughs> so how did you, you're obviously a priest, so you're Catholic. How, yeah. did, how did this happen that you became Catholic? And was it, when when did it happen? Sure. Not only am I Catholic, I'm really Catholic. <laughs> really Catholic. <laughs> um, so when I was 16 years old, you know, I was influenced like most teenagers by all sorts of different conflicting ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really was uh, just seeking more understanding in my faith. And at the time, it, it's it's not fair to point fingers and blame all the people that gave me religious upbringing. They were good people. And right. they, they really shared what they had been given in mm-hmm. such a free and loving way. And that includes my own family. Absolutely. But at that time, at about 16 years old, I really abandoned Christian faith and practice altogether. And I threw myself fully into what St. John Paul II at that time period had written and spoken about as the culture of death, Mm. which includes rock music, uh, obnoxious ways of living, Mm -hmm. um, bad and sinful choices Mm and how I lived and interacted with other people as a teenager into my college years. And by the I time I can't picture that in you, and, that's, that's crazy. Right. And uh, <laughs> by the time I was uh, into college, I was promoting, you know, uh, basically heavy metal or, or hardcore uh, punk music, and was also uh, when I went to university, I was involved in all the most woke or left wing uh, ideologies or philosophies that are promoted in the world today. Mm-hmm. I was woke before it was cool like it is today. <laughs> And so now it's I look not back. Cool either. <laughs> when I now when I look back, I've been there and done that, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so many of the the hot button issues today, uh, I remember even as a university student, um, you know, and being influenced by different professors and and different thinkers. If it was against the norm, uh, and it also if it if it allowed my own conscience uh, to do whatever I felt like I wanted. Uh, really, I lived like a pagan, but my mm-hmm. true God was probably hedonism, pleasure seeking, sure. yeah, and a yeah. lot of selfishness. It's very common of, right now. A lot of self centeredness <laughs> yep. and a lot of severing relationships with people okay. in my life. Okay. I remember the first time that I spoke to the Council Catholic of Women in my home parish where I grew up, mm-hmm. and I gave them my testimony about how Jesus changed my life. And I remember one of the ladies raised her hand in the Q and A section and said. One of my kids used to go to your parties. So I was a bad Jeez, influencer. <laughs> I was a bad you influencer. Were, yes. And so anyone who watches this should know that. Uh, mm-hmm. And those who say, oh, I really knew him. Yep. 
There's um, hope for everybody. There truly <laughs> is because I was lost and, and Jesus truly changed my life. And yeah. really what happened by the time I was 23 years old, you know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was really miserable. And I really turned to God and asked for help. Now, there were a few people who influenced me in my decision, but fundamentally, um, I was given some direction by uh, another Christian person, and he pointed out to me in Romans chapter 7, where St. Paul is talking about, you know, who will save me from this wretchedness? I do what I do not want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I didn't want to continue to live the selfish and self-centered way I had been living. All the ideologies, all the false philosophies about the way of the world— None of them proved to serve me well, mm -hmm. and and really I recognized that I had a need for God, and and I really cried out to God and I asked Him for help. And as Saint Paul says in Romans chapter seven, "Who will save me from this wretchedness?" Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And mm -hmm. so that was really the situation I was in, and that's really a, an occasion of Christian conversion for so many. So many million members right. of the church mm -hmm. throughout its history and even living today who have walked that same path mm -hmm. where they cried out and they asked God for help. They asked for his mercy and yeah. forgiveness. And God heard my prayer and he answered it in great abandon. I moved to Sioux Falls in 2004 and very quickly God continued to put people in my life that shared the gospel with me. And within a year's time, I had formed friendships with uh, several other men, and several of them were Catholic men. Mm -hmm. And of that group of men, uh, they met regularly for time of prayer and study uh, spiritual principles, but also some scripture reading. Um, and during that period of time, I lived and worked in Sioux Falls. I worked for a business here, and I, I began to have a conversion experience slowly. I still sought uh, satisfaction in some worldly things. Uh, I spent some time not only working for some businesses, a short period of time, uh, working at a local nightclub, um, also seeking still trying to live the rock and roll uh, lifestyle or the identity, mm -hmm. while at the same time reconciling that with what I knew was my need for Christ, right. my need for Jesus. So can I ask you a question here? Sure. Did you, at this point, since since you were kind of finding your way back to, to God— did you start going back to the Lutheran Church? So it was probably in the mid-2000s, I would say probably about 2006, mm -hmm. I uh, actually did go back to uh, the Lutheran congregation mm -hmm. right here in the city of Sioux Falls. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually met with the pastor, and I regularly attended services mm -hmm. there for a year's time. And it was actually that pastor who had preached a, a sermon about what we call today in the church moral relativism, mm -hmm. but really this problem that's really ubiquitous or it's everywhere today. You do you, I do, do me. me. <laughs> you know, well, there's no such thing as truth. You know, right. what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. But behind that problem and in fractured Christianity that we experience it today is a need for truth, a need for authority. Mm -hmm. And Jesus himself in the gospel says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I saw it even in my relationship with that Lutheran pastor, understanding about, you know, why is there Lutheran? You know, in my town mm -hmm. where I grew up, there were uh, five different varieties of Lutherans. Right, right. Um, and each of them uh, professed a different doctrine or a different mm -hmm. teaching all of them pointed to the Bible as their authority. And so I needed change. I went on a retreat, and it was really when I exited the life, uh, the nightclub lifestyle, 
Uh, I was actually emceeing at a local comedy club here in Sioux Falls, and there are probably some totally people see that. <laughs> who remember that. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. I went on a retreat. I went to Blue Cloud Abbey, and at the time, the brothers and the monks were still there, and I participated in the Liturgy of the Hours, and I, I went to a hermitage, and there I read the Gospels in their entirety mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I spent the whole weekend reading the Gospels mm-hmm. and encountering the person of Jesus Christ. And in that time, my, my life was transformed. I was changed by Jesus's own testimony and the testimony of the gospel writers. Mm-hmm. And what what I came away with that, and not only my, my friendship with the brothers and the monks of Blue Cloud Abbey, is that I recognized that I needed Christ, and I needed him fully. I didn't need just a version of right, Christ. right or someone's interpretation of who Christ is and how he saves me, I needed the saving power of Jesus Christ himself. And, and there was only one place to get that. Only <laughs> one place to truly get the fullness of the right. truth that's contained in the Gospels, right. and that's in the Catholic Church, right. the church that Jesus himself established. And you know, since that time, I can speak more about the Gospels because I've studied philosophy and theology, right. and, and and not only that, I've been an active priest for four years mm-hmm. now, and and ministering and preaching and proclaiming the Gospel. But uh, Jimmy Aiken, one of the uh, apologists Aiken, yes. on Catholic <laughs> Answers, yep. uh, he summarizes it best when he says, you know, the Gospels, Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, composed by the sacred authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were never written or intended to start different churches or different denominations or different versions of Lutheran. What they were written is for the church that was already established by Jesus himself before Mm -hmm. he ascended into heaven, that the church could have a clear and accurate account of who Jesus Christ is and what his, his message was, the good news of the gospel, so that we could follow him as members of the church. He had already established the church. He had already established his authority in St. Peter and his successors. Mm -hmm. And as the Acts of the Apostles give testimony to, it's the work of the church throughout these 2,000 years that leads and guides souls to salvation. And although there may be, as uh, Tim Staples likes to remind us, some say 42,000 different denominations uh, that claim Christ or claim to have the Christian way, there is only one that has over 1.3 billion members around the world, and that is the church that Jesus established, the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Okay, there's a lot there. So Sure. (laughs) I'm going to... So you eventually came into the church. How long did that take? You know, it was through that friendship uh, with some of those Catholic Mm -hmm. men uh, that I eventually, I attended a parish retreat for several years at different times throughout the year, but also personal friendships and witnesses uh, with those Catholic men Mm -hmm. that they too were also experiencing conversion experiences in their their lives. Mm -hmm. Some of them had lived the very same ways I had lived and they were being converted, and they were being changed. Mm-hmm. And through those mutual friendships um, that I had entered the catechumen, and I had lived in Sioux Falls by this time about five years, mm-hmm. and in the spring of 2009, uh, I was ready. And so I took instruction of the faith at uh, St. Michael's Parish in oh, Sioux sure. Falls. Yeah. Uh, Father Kevin O'Dell mm-hmm. uh, met with me personally and gave me instruction. But prior to coming into the church, I met with that Lutheran pastor, who had lovingly journeyed with me over that time period. Mm -hmm. And I had also discussed the origin of Lutheranism, Uh, Martin Luther himself, Mm -hmm. um, how he 
defined or declared his own teaching and the fracturing of Lutheranism and how it's, you know, in my proclamation, it's untenable Mm -hmm. with the consistent tradition and authority that Jesus himself has given us. And so that's difficult for some people to hear, but it, it is, it is truth. And, and so one question that people have right away is, what does your family think about right, this? Right, yes. And you know, my family, um, some of whom, uh, they, they have their own Lutheran identity and practice, and I love them, and I mm-hmm. want to honor them and the faith that was passed on to them, uh, and I want to acknowledge the contribution from my mother and my father who yes, brought sure. me as an infant to be baptized so that the light of God could shine in my heart. Mm-hmm. But you know, in my own acts— the light of God was out of my heart for many years right. because I encountered the pain and the sting of sin. Right. And that's not, no fault of their own. That's that's what we contend with. We contend mm-hmm. against the power of evil in our lives here on earth. For sure. But the, the freedom from that evil, the freedom from bondage, can only exist in the church that Jesus established. And so in that time period of conversion, um, I received the sacrament of reconciliation, and I heard those words, your sins are forgiven you, go in peace, through the authority of Jesus. And I mm-hmm. clearly not only understood, but I experienced the power of forgiveness and true redemption that so many others, uh, we use the Greek word, we call that a metanoia experience, okay. a total change of heart, mm. and that had overwhelmingly uh you know, ratified my life in faith. And so on the Easter Vigil of 2009, I was received in the Catholic Church. I received the Sacrament of Confirmation, and I received my first Holy Eucharist um, in a powerful experience and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And immediately I experienced a real change in my life, could really have a felt experience of the power of God working in my life in a new way, and I dove right into the Catholic faith with regular uh, attendance at daily Mass and with a keen awareness that God was now preparing me for a vocation, which in my time in the catechumen, I was learning about what a vocation is, a call mm-hmm, from yeah. God to a particular state in life. But uh, I was open to whatever God had in store for me. So I, I have to imagine it didn't take very long for you to get the call to the priesthood because you've been a priest for four years. You would have had to go through seminary, and that was 2009. So there's, there's, this was quick. It was rather right? quick. Yeah. So the church talks about a neophyte, someone mm-hmm. who is newly baptized and has little understanding. And so there is, uh, sometimes people say, is that legal to do that, you know, for <laughs> someone to become a, yeah. a priest? But uh, there was a period of time, about a uh, about a two-year period, where I, I lived and practiced my faith mm-hmm. right here in the Sioux Falls area. Mm-hmm. Um, as I continued to live, I volunteered um, with the, the faith formation staff at St. Michael's oh, sure, yeah. for a year of faith formation, and I helped uh, young teenage students, mm-hmm. rambunctious 16-year-old teenage students, prepare for their sacrament of confirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time period— continue to practice the sacraments and grow in my own relationship with God through regular prayer and just kind of growing in Christian virtue and also learning more about the Catholic faith. Yeah. You know, what's up with statues? What What's that Lady of Our Lady of Guadalupe thing all about? Right. How do you do the rosary? What's a chaplet? What's a novena? It's a lot what's of questions litany? in two years. Oh, there's so many things. And, and sometimes people say, how, you know, people say, I've been Catholic my whole life. I don't know what that is, you know, but I had this insatiable desire to know to understand and to follow Christ. Right. And and re- initially I thought perhaps I had a call to consecrated life in a religious congregation, oh, sure. uh, maybe monastic life, that my time with the brothers and the monks 
had really transformed my life. And I thought a contemplative, contemplative prayerful life. Yeah. <laughs> but v- very soon after visiting a few communities, it became apparent that God was calling me uh, to the diocesan priesthood. And sure. so after that period of time, I applied, uh, letting all my story, the confessions of Timothy Smith, uh, not St. Augustine, uh, <laughs> confessions written of all my foibles, all my shortcomings, all those years that I had lived truly against Christ, mm-hmm. and uh, just gave testimony for what God was doing in my life and what he had done for me. And uh, at the graciousness of Bishop Swain, uh, he welcomed me, and I studied philosophy for a period of time at St. Mary's University. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, after that period of discernment, I was called on to further study in theology, spent four years at St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity, and had some great instruction. And there, I was prepared for the priesthood. Yeah, yeah. And I think you've been a pretty good priest so far. Well, From what I hear. You know what? You have your good days and you have your off days. Uh, and that's true in any vocation. Yeah, yeah. So we only have like a minute and a half left. Um, can you just tell me what has been your biggest blessing you know, as a the, priest? The biggest blessing is just to see the power of God at the work in the, at the, work in the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. There's so many people whose lives are transformed. And at the end of the day, um, I may think, how's God going to help this person get out of this situation? There are so many... Uh, challenges and pitfalls and and difficulties that occur in human life but with god all things are possible mm-hmm. and all i have to do is look in the mirror and just yeah. laugh at myself <laughs> because it's truly a work of god's grace mm-hmm. jesus christ changed my life nothing can change that no one can take that away from me and i also remember that i say that statement to remind myself of the work of mercy that's been done to me when i was ordained the first chapter of First Timothy um, is really the words of St. Paul is something that always strikes me, and not just because it's written to Timothy, my patron saint, sure, yep. <laughs> but it's because St. Paul says, of sinners, I was the foremost, right. but it's because of his mercy that he has granted that to me so that I too can minister to others um, who has shown me great mercy. Yeah. And that's true in my own life. Yeah. Um, my goal for my parishioners and for any person I ever minister is that if you're willing to try to seek God, that's all that the Lord needs to make his beginning. And because I've tried for many years, and I'm still trying. And so if you're willing to try with me, then God will do amazing things. That's a great—I I love that. I've not heard you say that before. I really like that. Um, is there anything that your, your parishioners and the people in the diocese can do for you? You know, more than anything, pray for me, pray for my ministry, ask that God would continue to inspire me and give me strength. Um, and just to persevere, um, I, I certainly know that uh, many of our clergy just need that encouragement yeah. and support and prayer. Yeah. So thank you for your witness. And, uh, you know, if you pray for us and just offer us and just be gracious with us yeah. and recognize that we're all beggars, humble beggars, as Bishop DeGroot says, for God's mercy. <laughs> yes. And so just pray for us each day. Yeah, I know um, my aunt is one of your parishioners up there and they love you. So I imagine a lot of your parishioners love you. Well, your uncle's got a great singing voice, too. (laughs) Good, good. I'm so glad. I don't think I've ever heard it. (laughs) Well, it's beautiful, so that's great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I wish we had more time for the full, full story, but that was a pretty good story. Good summary in 20 minutes. Good job. Thanks, Father Smith. All right, if you haven't found us on social media yet, you can find us at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at SF Diocese. And of course, you can always come to the diocesan website at sfcatholic.org anytime to find out more about your diocese. 
That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic News.